What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for being here with us on this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. My name is Joe Arico, and I am your host. I'm also the lead fantasy baseball analyst for Sports Ethos, and you guys can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99. That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. Hit the follow button there. You never miss any links to my shows, different threads that I post every day, other random links for Sports Ethos stuff, and any random thoughts that I also have. So go ahead and hit the follow button over there. Hope you guys have also already hit the five-star button, whether it be on Google, Spotify, Apple, however it is you consume our show. Really appreciate you guys hitting the five-star. I hope you guys listened to yesterday's show. We had Michael Govier on yesterday, one half of the Palazzo podcast, and had a great conversation with him about some underachieving players. We did mean to get to some overachievers, but we did run a little bit long. So maybe we'll get to them next time. But there's also a chance we'll get to them on Thursday because I'm going to be appearing on Michael's show, the Palazzo podcast. It'll be live on Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Yep, that's right. Your boy is going to be doing some live stuff. Usually we're pre-recording and editing here. So if there are any slip-ups, you guys will get to see them right live on the air. So 4 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday, that is tomorrow. Uh, You guys will be able to see that on YouTube. And then after the fact, it will go out on Apple, Spotify, and the rest of them. So make sure you guys are listening there live because you are going to want to see me screw up because there will undoubtedly be at least one or two screw-ups there. You guys are not going to want to miss that. As for today's show, we're going to be doing a fairly standard rundown of some of yesterday's biggest performances, some bounce-back pitchers that we're going to discuss, and some other players as well. Uh, Aaron Judge hit another goddamn home run. This guy is unbelievable. He's got 22 home runs in 53 games. We'll get into him a little bit later. We'll also talk about a couple of today's pitching matchups. There's one in particular that I'm really going to be watching later tonight. And then we'll also do a little bit of a rundown of the waiver wire and talk about some of the more added and dropped players today. There's a couple I have in mind that I think are really good additions. And there's a couple of guys who've been dropped who I understand dropping as well. So we'll get into that closer to the end of the show. For now, we'll start with looking back on some of yesterday's top performers. And I think Justin Verlander is a good place to start there. He had a fantastic game. Bit of a bounce back here. The last couple outings have been not as sharp as we saw him uh, throughout the first month and a half of the season or so. We saw him give up six earned runs against Seattle. And then last time out, he wasn't bad against Oakland. He did give up three earned runs, didn't get the victory there. It was a no decision. Here we saw more of that early season vintage Verlander. He went seven innings, gave up six hits, just one earned run, walking two and striking out 12. He gave you 39.8 fantasy points if you're playing on Yahoo. And he was probably the top performer of across baseball yesterday, it's fair to say, certainly in terms of a points league format. There's a position player who also had a, or a few position players who would maybe be in the running there. But I think it's a safe bet to say that Verlander was our top performing guy yesterday. It's great to see him get a little bit back on track because there was a couple of outings there. Not that he was ever really off track. You are afforded a couple of bad outings throughout the season. Even the best of starters, the best of pitchers, the eventual Cy Young winner, if you look back uh, any given year, they'll have had a couple of bad outings. So that's not really a massive concern. At his age, uh, anything is kind of a little bit of a concern. As well as he has pitched, you don't want to see any signs of change, really, unless they're positive. So it's good to see him get back into that uh, seven-inning, two-earned runs or less kind of territory that we saw him in for the first uh, month or so of the season, even beyond a month. So great stuff out of Verlander. Uh, He's obviously a huge value pick this season coming off of his injury. He was heavily discounted, and rightfully so. You don't know what you're going to be getting out of a guy like Verlander at his age. But at the end of the day, it's Justin Verlander. We've seen him do this. uh, I believe it was the year he was traded to Houston in 2017. He had been kind of declining over the last year or two at that point. Went to Houston, helped them win the World Series. And he was 
you know, rejuvenated. I'm not sure what changed exactly. Probably just needed a change of scenery there. But he went to Houston, won another Cy Young. Uh, and now he's got a chance to do it again this season, a possible other, another Cy Young. We're still kind of early, but you can start picking out some guys who are probably more likely than not going to be in contention there. And why don't we talk about the next player I'm going to mention. He is also someone who will be in Cy Young contention, I believe. <clears throat> That's Alec Manoa. So he went six innings again yesterday. He goes six innings pretty much every single time out. There was one start where he only went five against Cleveland. But he went six innings, gave up six hits. He walked three, which is the highest number he's had since his first start of the season. And he only struck out four. So that was not the greatest, but we still got six shutout innings out of him. He just finds a way to be successful, regardless of situation or team. It doesn't matter if he's facing the best team in baseball or the worst team in baseball. He's able to go out there and give you like six shutout innings pretty much every time out. Uh, Manoa, for me, is also in that short list of Cy Young contenders uh, in the American League. There's probably... I don't know, maybe seven or eight guys at this point who are legitimate contenders, maybe even more. So Nestor Cortez is still there. I guess we have to put Martin Perez in that conversation because he's pitching to a one five six ERA. It's it's crazy, but he's in that conversation. Alec Manoa, he's got the one point eight one ERA. Those guys are the sub two ERA gentlemen in the American League, and then we have uh, Shane McClanahan, Verlander, Logan Gilbert, Tariq Skubal. All these guys, I think, are in contention to some degree or another. And then you even have farther down the list guys like Gosman and uh, Garrett Cole. All these guys, I think, are in contention. But if you're talking about, I think, Manoa, Cortez, McClanahan, and Verlander, I think that they are probably ahead of the pack at this point. Tariq Skubal has a chance to get there. And why don't we talk about Tariq Skubal? Because he had another great outing last night. It might limit him pitching on the Tigers, his ability to win the Cy Young. It is a possibility. It typically doesn't go to a player on a poor team. That's not like a rule of law. It's not written down anywhere. But typically, it's going to go to a guy who's on a playoff team or a borderline playoff team, which the Tigers will not be either of this season. Anyway, last night, he won seven innings. He got the victory, giving up six hits, three earned runs, striking out nine. And he hit a batter for the first time all season. It took him 11 starts to actually hit a batter. He's pitching to a 2.33 ERA, and again, I've said it before on the show, he was probably my biggest miss heading into the season. I did not expect anything close to this from Tariq Skubal, but he has been able to go out there and be one of the better pitchers in the American League. Like I said, he's not quite in that top-tier Cy Young conversation, but he's definitely in the top 10 or so right now. So if you have him, uh, that's fantastic. There's no move to be made there, no trade. or I mean, you could try and trade him and go and get maybe one of those upper echelon arms. You'd probably have to add another piece there if you're not if you're not too sure about Scooble and you want to try and maximize the value. You take him and you throw in a, a, a mid-level player and maybe you can maybe you can get a guy like, I don't know, it's hard to actually say specifically for names, but someone in the top 15 or 20 pitchers there, and not, we're not talking about necessarily anyway we're not talking about this season's best starting pitchers we're talking about like if you're getting a top 20 pitcher across baseball for Tariq Skubal then I would do that I find it's easier to make trades when you're trading a pitcher for a position player or vice versa it's it's easier for there to be a little bit of muddy water there in the value in terms of I don't know it's harder to it's harder to equate value across positions like that specifically pitcher versus player so you might be able to trade him and go out and get like a top 30 or so player in the league. That's probably not very likely, but in a redraft league, you might be able to convince people that this is, you know, you're getting the 100 percentile 
version of Scooble, and you might be able to trade him for an elite player. Because I don't think he's an elite player. He's still a young, he's still a young pitcher. He's still 25 years old, and he'll probably get better. If he's already given us this at age 25, he'll probably get better. If you're talking about in a redraft format, and you're not too confident that he's going to keep this up, or you think that his playing on the Tigers will limit his ability to get you wins, even though it hasn't really so far. He's got five victories in his 11 starts. If you are worried about that, then I think that there is a market out there for him, and you could probably trade him, and you probably could be able to get definitely a bigger name than Scooble. He's not a he's not a hot name at this point in his career. A couple more, uh, maybe if he finishes out the year like this, then maybe we'll see him become more of a household name and continue into next year. As of right now, I think if you package him up with somebody else, you might be able to squeeze a little bit of value there because I don't know... I don't know that he's going to keep this up the whole season, and I know I've already missed out on him once, and now I'm like still not giving him his full credit probably. I just – if the pitcher plays for a bad team, it really limits their value, even if they are a fantastic pitcher. And we've talked about this with Frankie Montes, right? It's playing on the athletics that has had a limiting effect on his value for the season. Once he gets traded, absolutely, it'll definitely uh, open up the doors there, and he'll be able to get you some more victories to go along with the good other uh, – the great other stats, really – for Montes, he'll give you great ratios. He'll give you more victories and strikeouts as long as he's playing on a team that can get you victories. Scooble, I see in that same kind of light, except he's not getting traded this year. There's no way the Tigers are going to move on from him, a 25-year-old who pitches like him. I think that we're probably, honestly, you'd probably be wise to explore a trade for him. Not that I'm advocating getting rid of him, but I think that I don't know that we'll see this continue the whole year, and you might, uh, you might want to maximize the value you can get for him right now. Anyway, let's move on. A couple of pitchers now we'll talk about who bounced back after a poor appearance their last time out. Michael Kopech, I'm sure he was sitting on a lot of benches going up against the Dodgers, but he really impressed. He went six innings of one-hit ball. He also walked one batter. He strike, uh, struck out eight and got the victory here at home against the Dodgers. He was coming off his worst performance of the season, fantasy or otherwise. He gave up six hits, five earned runs over three innings against the Blue Jays' last time out, while also walking four. Walks have been a little bit of an issue for him this season, but overall, he's still pitching to a sub-2 ERA. Still been one of the more elite pitchers in the American League. And, you know, great to see him bounce back against a team like the Dodgers. You know, I'm sure he was on a lot of benches yesterday, and rightfully so, weekly or daily changes leagues. You give up, uh, you have a rough outing against the Blue Jays, and then you go into the Dodgers. You figure the confidence level is not going to really be there. I completely get it if you benched him. I don't personally have Michael Kopech in any league, but I do understand if you guys benched him. Do not feel bad about it. You are definitely among many friends, so there's no need to uh, to beat yourself up there. Let's talk about you, Darvish, a little bit. He also had a bit of a bounce back here. He went seven innings, gave up only two hits, and struck out six. He got the victory in what was arguably his best outing of the season. Uh, he did it against the New York Mets as well, which is very impressive. Similarly to Kopech against a very strong team where you, there's a decent chance that Darvish was on your bench. I do have some Darvish shares, and I started him yesterday, probably against my better judgment early in the week. I figure, okay, if he does give me a shitter here, I could make it up later in the week with ads, uh, stream in a couple of likely um, likely strong pitching matchups, and then I should be able to make up whatever damage Darvish does. That's the way I kind of thought about it. I didn't give it too much thought, but I figured, okay, later in the week, we'll, we'll make up for whatever he does here. I'll take it, whatever it is. And he was actually really solid for me. And he was solid for you guys, too, who started him. I'm sure there are definitely many of you who did have him on the bench. And that is fine, because there's honestly a couple of things that worry me about Darvish. And w- let's get into them here. Why, why don't we talk about it for a second? So probably a 
about, I would say, after his start against the Braves on May 13th, I started getting a lot of questions about what are we doing with you, Darvish, this season? Is he someone who I should cut bait with? Should I trade him and try and just get anything back? And I was at the, of the opinion at the time, and I still am of the opinion that he is in the decline uh, phase of his career now. He is, I believe, 35 years old. We have seen a massive drop-off in his strikeout numbers, which have always been a huge benefit for him. They've been his strongest category, typically. Uh, going back every year, you're looking at 31, 27, 27, 31, 31, 29. Those are percentage, strikeout percentage. This year, we're at 20%, which is still so, somewhere in line with the MLB average, which is around 22%. But when you see a drop-off of that nature from the high 20s, even into the 30s, and you start coming down into the 20s, just barely in the 20s as well, 20.1, it leads me to believe that we are seeing a decline. Now, his velocity is still the same, but we've seen him go down in terms of his whiff percentage. He's not really fooling batters like we have seen him in previous years. That is that is one thing that I've really noticed. Uh, went from the 61st percentile down to the 47th percentile in terms of whiff. Now, that on its own is not too bad, but he's also dropped in terms of his hard hit percentage. Uh, well, it's actually gone up, but his percentile has gone down. I think you guys know what I mean there. He was 79th percentile last season for allowing hard hit percentage. This season, he's down to 52nd. The ball is coming off the bat a lot harder. He's not fooling batters as much. They're seeing the ball quite a bit better, and they're making better contact. So I, I'm overall, yes, he had a great start. I'm in a sell mode on you, Darvish. I talked about it. I think in the first article I put out for Sports Ethos, it might have been the first or the second one, uh, those Sunday recaps that I do. One of them I said, I think I, you should move on from you, Darvish. And I, I still agree with that assessment. I think that we've seen him kind of alternate between good and bad start. And every now and then you get a couple of good ones in a row. He had a couple of good ones there, uh, one against Philadelphia, one against Milwaukee at, at the end of May. He got roughed up a little bit against the Cardinals. There's been three or four times where he's been really roughed up this season. And we haven't seen him giving us those elite strikeout numbers. He did strike out eight batters uh, one time against the Braves earlier in the season, and he also struck out seven Dodgers at one point. Uh, other than that, we've seen him fairly pedestrian strikeout numbers, which has been a huge portion of his value going back his whole career, really. He's always been a guy who can give you like 200 strikeouts plus if he plays in the whole season. This season, he's if he gives you 160 innings or so, he's probably going to give you 140, 150 strikeouts as opposed to closer to 200 that he would have given you in years past. So I do see this as a sell window on Darvish, and people may not be recognizing it because overall, I mean, the 361 ERA, that's not too bad. The whip is really good at 1.01. So I think there is a time to sell him here still while, while you, you have some value in him because I do see this being a declining phase of his career. The, do, or the Padres, excuse me, do have a ton of options in terms of starting pitching. So if he does start to decline, if he goes off a cliff really quickly, they're not going to just keep him in the rotation for the sake of keeping him there because they pay him a lot of money. That's, that, that does happen every now and again. But when you have already so many strong starting pitching options, I don't think that they're going to force him there if he's not being successful. Now, he has been successful enough this season that he's still there, but there are definitely enough metrics that worry me that I'm not going to be jumping on him. If someone does offer you in a trade, uh, offer you you Darvish, I am not taking that. But... If you're trying to get rid of him and you're maybe losing a little bit of draft capital there, you picked him, whatever, pick 80, and you're trading him for a guy who's pick 110 or whatever, I wouldn't worry too much about that. I wouldn't lose too much sleep about maybe maybe not recouping full value that you would have seen for him in years past because he's not the U Darvish of years past. He's still a name. 
he's still a name that you could probably sell to people. Oh, this is you, Darvish, right? He's been one of the elite pitchers for a decade and blah, blah, blah. And some people will still buy into that. For me, it's going to be a no, and I'm going to be trying to move on from him where I can personally. Let's talk a little bit now about Dakota Hudson, who had another good start last night. He went seven innings, gave up two hits, only one earned run, and struck out six batters. He is 4-2 and two with a 2.76 ERA and a 1.21 whip. Now, Dakota Hudson is someone that I talked about after his previous start, which was against the San Diego Padres, and I said, don't be fooled. Dakota Hudson is not this good. He is not the kind of guy who will go out there and give you seven innings, strong ball. Just not who he is. And overall, I think that I am still correct about that. Let's get into some more of the numbers here with Dakota Hudson. So 2019 was the only year where he pitched a full season. He started 33, or sorry, 32 games, pitched in 33 games. Other than that, we haven't really seen him at the major league level for an extended period of time. In 2018, he pitched in 26 games in relief. In the lockout season, he started eight games. Granted, yes, there was only 60 games that season. So more or less a full season for what the season was that year. But it's for my purposes, for your purposes of evaluating him, eight starts doesn't really give you so much to work on. Then last year, we had two games, only one start. So there's not really a ton to, to really go off of here in terms of a long track record. He's appeared in 80 games in his career, and he started 52 of them. That's not, that's not a crazy amount of games here. Yes, he's got 300 innings under his belt, but I don't know that we fully know exactly what we're getting into with him here. If you look at the strikeout numbers in that full season of 2019, it was 18%. This season, we've seen it at 14%. Now, in that lockout, or sorry, not the lockout shortened year, the pandemic shortened season, it's hard to keep your work stoppages in, the, in major sports in order sometimes. We saw him go to 20% in that short season of only eight starts. Back down to 17% last year, and granted, we're looking at an eight-inning sample size, so that doesn't really count. This season, we're seeing him strike out 14% of his batters. Through 58 innings, he has struck out, what is it, 30? He struck out 34 batters in his 58 innings. And it's honestly really hard for someone to be a productive fantasy asset when they're giving you, when they're giving you no strikeouts, really. I know he had six last night, and that was his season high. He hadn't even had five in an outing other than that, so he got... Maybe a little bit lucky last night, honestly, striking out six batters. Usually, we're looking at two or three or even less. Sometimes, I mean, there was one start, he went four and two-thirds. He didn't strike out anybody. He can give you starts like that. Uh, and it, it really can hurt your value uh, throughout the week and throughout the season. So you might be saying, well, look at the ERA, though. I mean, if he's going to give me an ERA that's below three, then I can sacrifice the strikeouts. Well, when we dig into that number, it's not really what it seems either. So... Fielding independent pitching, which is similar to expected ERA, expected kind of predicts what you're going to see going forward from a pitcher. They're fairly similar, but there are slight different nuances. And the main one is that uh, expected ERA kind of doesn't really tell you what you can expect going forward. It's what you have expected up to this point in the season. That's the best way I can kind of describe it. Even I don't fully understand all the little differences, but... From what I understand, and talking with Michael yesterday, uh, he prefers to use FIP. So let's use let's let's maybe talk about both of them here with Dakota Hudson. So the ERA is two seven six. The fielding independent pitching is four twenty four, which shows you it should be a bit higher there. If you're looking at the expected ERA, it's even higher than that, four point nine seven, which does show you that he is getting a little bit lucky to this point in the season. Now, what he has done in years past is limit his hard contact fairly well. Going back to that full season. In 2019, he gave up 38.8 uh, hard hit rate. We saw in 2020, in a short st uh, stretch of games, only eight games for him there, 40.4% hard hit rate. And now this season, we've seen 44.9. So they're seeing the ball pretty well off of him. They are not 
really striking out. I mean, there's the odd guy who strikes out, and they're probably real embarrassed once they get back to the dugout for striking out against him because it just doesn't really happen. So when I look at all the factors there, yes, he plays on a good team, and he'll probably have a chance to win you somewhere close to 10 games, even if he's not great, just because of how good that offense is. I don't see him as being a strong candidate for rest-of-season value. So if I'm looking here on Yahoo, he is rostered in 20% of leagues. It kind of shows you that people aren't really buying in, despite the low ERA and whip to this point. 20%. I mean, most people, they're pitching... This, to this point in the season, right, we're in through, what, 10, 11 starts. If they're giving you a 2.76 ERA, they're going to be rostered. I think as a whole, people are fairly aware of Dakota Hudson and the deceptive nature behind his traditional stats. So I think we'll leave it there, but <clears throat> I think that you guys need to be really, really careful if you do have him on your team. Don't get too attached. He's someone who I think you should try and trade. And off the basis of last night, the same thing as you, Darvish, really. If you can take a couple of good starts there and bank them together. And with Hudson, you actually have two consecutive good ones that you can put together. I would be all in favor of trying to move on from him. Let's now talk about a couple position players. And I think we'll start with Connor Joe. He is someone who was a really hot pickup at the beginning of the season. His roster percentage soared into the 80s. Uh, maybe high 70s, low 80s in that range. I think it was like... I think he topped out around 81% rostered on Yahoo. We're seeing him now back at 51% rostered. And I mentioned him because yesterday he went two for four. He had a home run and he also stole a base. That classic combo meal, which there definitely should be a better name for it at this point. And maybe there is. But as far as I know, a combo meal is still the widely accepted term for a game where you hit a home run and steal a base. That's what he did yesterday. And I mean, yeah, we have seen a bit of a fall off from him. You got to remember... He hits first or second pretty much every night. He plays in Coors Field, and he has eligibility in the outfield and at first base. So I see him as being a pretty solid back-end guy in a 12- or 14-team league. And if he has a week where he's playing in Coors the whole week, then I think he's a relatively good streamer, even in a 10- or 12-team or or format, excuse me. Uh, depending on your format, daily changes, weekly changes, he can be really valuable in a daily changes league if you're just starting him at home. And like I said, if it's a weekly format and he's – Rockies are at home for the next week, then he's a really strong ad. Other than that, I do understand the roster percentage going down, but I'm just always very intrigued by Rockies and what they can do. And sometimes it, you know, it, it boosts their value a little bit, just the fact that they play in Colorado when they wouldn't otherwise really have that value. And that might be what's happening a little bit here in terms of, uh, in terms of Connor Joe. But regardless of why he has value, I think that he will be valuable in those home games. And the beauty about last night is that it wasn't even a home game. They were playing in San Francisco. So if he can give you those kind of outings on the road, as well as the odd uh, solid performance from home, I think that he's a pretty solid pickup, like I said, in 14, 12 to 14 team leagues. I think that you could definitely make the case for him there. Won't spend too much time on it, but my God, Aaron Judge, again, hit a home run. It seems like he goes yard every time he plays, and there's really no other candidate at this point that I see for the American League MVP who's anywhere close to Aaron Judge. Just uh, popping open bet 365 here. Aaron Judge is plus 180 for the MVP. Otani, 350. Trout, plus 400. And then after that, it really drops off. But Judge is favored considerably at this point of the season to be only plus 180. I mean, uh, he is expected to win the award at this point. So, there's, like I said, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on him because there's there's nothing to do here. You're obviously not trading him. You're trying to acquire him. You're going to trade like your whole team, at least your first few rounds of picks, at least at least your first couple of draft picks, and then some. 
just looking in on one of my leagues, one of my cash leagues, um, I play with my friends. This one is the one that I probably focus on the most just because I play with friends. Aaron Judge went behind a couple of guys that are really not looking great right now. He went behind uh, Salvador Perez, went behind Marcus Semien. He went 33rd overall in this particular draft, Aaron Judge, but my God, when you look at some of those names, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. but Jesus Murphy, man. Uh, my buddy Dylan is probably not too happy about having uh, Semien over Aaron Judge, but that is the way it works. Obviously, hindsight is a perfect twenty twenty vision. And even at this point, we're not really perfect 2020 vision, but definitely have a clearer view of things than we did at the beginning of the season. That's why there's some people who do like second chance drafts, which I kind of think are cool. You do a draft a month or six weeks into the season once you have guys who you've kind of figured out where they're going to be value-wise for that season. And you're not doing those drafts preseason like, you know, picking DeGrom or Tatis first and then having your team be kind of screwed. If you did that, you drafted early enough and those were your top picks, you've kind of screwed for the season now. There's nothing you can really do about it. So it's kind of it's kind of nice to have that option of drafting later on in the season. I think they call them second chance, second chance leagues or second chance drafts. I've never personally done one, but I think they're kind of cool. You know, you don't have that dead weight uh, at the top of your roster like you would possibly would anyway if you drafted before the season. Let's talk about one more guy here, Christopher Morell. <clears throat> I think that he is a seriously, seriously talented player, and I think he should be added pretty much everywhere. So he went two for five last night. He had a triple and a home run. He uh, drove in a couple of runs for the Cubs, and he's batting just shy of 300 here. I think that he is, like I said, I think he's a really strong ad. He's in 64% of leagues now. He's shot up. He, his percentage has shot up. Uh, it was like nowhere I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, it was he was available pretty much everywhere. But with that mix of home runs and steals, uh, we've seen him steal five bases over the last two weeks. He's got the power potential. He is leading off for that Cubs team. And granted, not a great lineup, but still, uh, most leadoff hitters in baseball do warrant a roster spot. He is someone, if he is still available in your leagues, absolutely he should be added. I mean, 64%, you figure most of the more competitive leagues at that point will have picked him up. But, you know, you never really know. Every league is different, like I've talked about here on the show before. You're not really sure what you're going to expect uh, league to league if you see those percentages. So ESPN, he's 26.5% rostered. He's available pretty much everywhere there. On Yahoo, I'm thinking more competitive leagues, he's probably gone. But you, you never really know, right? You never really know. you got to take a look on the wire and see if he is still there because there is a chance. I'm going to be taking a look at the waiver wire now and talk about some of the more added and dropped players today. So Santiago Espinal is leading the way. He has seen a 16% boost in his roster percentage from last week, and his numbers on the season are actually fantastic. Over the last week, he's the number three-ranked fantasy player uh, in terms of category leagues. Three home runs, nine RBIs. He scored six times. He's 13 for 28 in that span. Now, earlier in the season, I remember answering questions about Santiago and thinking, uh, I don't know that he's going to have fantasy value, that he's going to really be worth it, right? And this is probably about as good as he's ever going to be at this point. With the power, we, he doesn't have a ton of power. He's, you know, if he really barrels up a ball, he can hit it out of the yard. But to see him at three home runs in a week, he had two home runs all of last season in his 222 at-bats. Now, I think he's a really strong, deep league guy. Uh, in terms of your standard 10 and 12s, I mean, yes, second base is a little bit weaker of a position. So, And he does have eligibility at second and third. So I would kind of understand it if you want to move on from a low-performing second baseman, or you just want to squeeze in, uh, squeeze him into your utility spot or whatever. 
I wouldn't be opposed to it. And if you want to ride him while he's hot, sure. But I don't think we can expect this all season. I don't think he's going to continue on this pace and hit 15 home runs, drive it 80, and hit 300. Like, I don't think that's going to happen here. I think if you want to ride him while he's hot, by all means, but I don't think it's necessary. Yes, I've already said this earlier in the season that it's not necessary to add him, and now he's looked very good. But this is like the 100th percentile outcome for Santiago Espinal, and he's the 146th ranked player on the season. So if he falls off a little bit, he's going to start falling and falling and falling. And But eventually, I think there will be better options. Right now, while he's hot, decent option, but I don't think that he is uh, a necessary guy to have. Josiah Gray is someone I want to talk about, and we'll talk about him also uh, in terms of the matchup that he has later on today. But I, I really like this game here. I like adding him as a starter against Miami today. He can give you some seriously good strikeout numbers. Yes, he does struggle with the long ball and with walking batters here, but it's a great matchup in a fairly spacious park in Miami. So Josiah Gray, for me, if you're in a daily changes league, absolutely he is someone I would go and add. Eduardo Escobar is also a decent option here. He does typically bat in the lower end of that Mets lineup, but there are quite a few RBI opportunities for him. He's driven in 13 in the last two weeks, 24 on the season to go along with his five home runs, but three of them have come in the last couple of weeks. So if you do want to add him as a little bit of a boost, he does play all the infield positions. He's got decent power, right? He had 28 home runs last season, and he can be a decent asset there, a utility jackknife kind of guy in the middle of your lineup there. But I don't think, again, uh, I don't think that he is a necessary pickup. I think that you can ride the hand while he's hot, but I wouldn't be dropping anybody too established for him. Yusei Kikuchi is the next guy we'll talk about. He's starting today at Kansas City. By the time you guys hear this, he may have already taken the bump. I don't know how he's only got a 391 ERA, honestly. It should be higher, I think. And uh, I don't know. I do like him, but I think that he is kind of hit or miss. So in a start here, you'd figure, yeah, it's a good option. But he also had a bit of a dog against Cincinnati before. He had a decent one against the Angels. It's kind of it's really a roulette table with Yusei Kikuchi in terms of his value. So I'll say, yeah, he's probably a safe pickup. But at the same time, uh, I wouldn't be rushing out to grab him. Let's put it that way. Just looking at some of the drops here, we are seeing guys who pitched yesterday for the most part. So Keegan Thompson, he's been dropped. Absolutely. Uh, it was a tough outing. Sure, I get it. A couple of tough outings in a row, actually. He's someone I don't think we need to totally give up on yet, especially in deeper leagues, but I do understand that after a game like that, it does happen. John Gray had himself a bit of a rough outing, giving up five earned runs over five innings, walked four, gave up six hits, and he only struck out three. I did warn about this. He did strike out 12 last time. I didn't think we are going to be seeing that too much more, so I'm fine if you guys dropped him. I don't think he was really necessary to add in the first place, but no need to worry if you dropped him there. Uh, Jose Quintana is someone who also got dropped quite a bit. You would have figured yesterday would have been a great matchup for him against the Tigers. And when we had Michael on yesterday, who was a Detroit native, he said, it's kind of been a joke in the fantasy world this season that you, you guys are pitching against the Tigers. There must add uh, anybody pitching against the Tigers, really. And Quintana hadn't been too bad to this point in the season. He's actually you know surprised a little bit. So it was a little bit upsetting to see him get roughed up a bit, four and runs over three and a third against the Tigers. He did strike out five in that time, but overall, yeah, you can send him back to the waiver wire. It's not too uh, big of a deal there. There's one matchup I wanted to talk about before I let you guys go for today, and I already briefly mentioned it here. It will be the Nationals and the Mariners, or sorry, the Nationals and the Marlins at 6.40 p.m. Eastern time. Josiah Gray and Sandy Alcantara, I think this is going to be 
a matchup of two guys who will dominate the National League for the next several years. 24-year-old Gray, 26-year-old Alcantara. I think these guys are going to be two of the top arms to watch over the next several years. Specifically Alcantara, he's already there. He's established. Gray needs to work out a couple of tinks, but I think by next season we'll see him be an elite fantasy stud and an elite baseball player as well. Forget the fantasy side. I think we'll see him be elite in every aspect uh, next season. We'll drop the walks, keep the home runs in check, hopefully. Might take him a year or two, but I'm thinking by next season he will have arrived. And I think that this is a good opportunity to stream him against the Marlins. Like I said, it's a big ballpark, not a great lineup. I'm very confident using him. Obviously, Sandy Alcantara should be one of the top targets tonight in DFS. I think that he is one of the better options available uh, on the slate. So, guys, that will do it for us today. I really appreciate all you tuning in, subscribing, hitting the follow button on Twitter. I'll give you the handle one more time. It's at JoeOrico99, J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. Hit the follow button there. We're getting close to 1,000. We hit 900 yesterday. We're going to be at 1,000 this month. I'm feeling it, guys. Need your support. Need everybody to hit that button. Hit the button and you get links to my shows, different threads that I put out, other Sports Ethos shows that I link you to, and other content creators that I will, of course, steer your way from the Sports Ethos platform. So, guys, thank you so much for being here. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Thursday edition. I hope everybody has a great day. Cheers, everyone.